if I can provide an entrance into this psalm by recounting an experience I had many years ago. And I've told you this experience in the past. Some of you may remember this, it was a few years ago, but here's the experience. For many years, I was a professor at a Bible college in Portland, Oregon. And during one of my years there, a student died. These things happen even in communities of young people. He was popular on campus, he was on the basketball team, he was a spiritual leader, and the whole college community was shocked and grieving, as you can imagine. His roommate tried to wake him up in the morning, but he was gone. A day or two or three after his death, there was a memorial service at a large church near the campus. And I remember walking into the double doors in the back of the auditorium. And on this side of me was a group of students who were just grieving and holding each other and sad as you can imagine. And on this side of me, as I walked a step or two, was another group of students who were laughing and carrying on and giving each other the high five because apparently one of their circle had just gotten engaged and she was showing her engagement ring around and there I stood in the middle. feeling like I was observing a kind of parable of the human condition. The happiness and the victory and the joy and the relationships and the good times, yes, and the sorrow and the questions and the grieving you might say that I stood there as a kind of hinge between these two experiences. And I suggest to you today that that story is kind of like Psalm 77. Do you see the shape of the psalm? The first part takes us down, 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 but then there is a turning point and there is a hinge. So as we live in this world, this fallen world, as we bear the wind load, the pressure of storms and trials, may God help us and may he use Psalm 77 to help us live in this hinge. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your holy word, would you speak to us, because we do indeed live right there in the hinge. Show us what to remember, so that along with the author of this psalm, we can um, maintain our confidence in you, and even uh, find joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We begin with verses 1 to 3, 
with a shout and a cry. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. In verse 1, we have the word cried out uh, twice. The word is a very strong word in Hebrew. It means to clamor or even to shout. I yelled, I shouted to God, I cried out to him. When I was in distress, the word distress in Hebrew is a plural, and it was a Hebrew way of intensifying a word, literally when I was in distresses, but it means it was really bad, distress. It means to be constricted or cramped. He felt captured. He felt panicky. He felt tight. He couldn't breathe. We call this trauma. Can you relate? When I am in the middle of trials, when I am bearing the wind load, my physiological reaction is that my heart pounds. Some people get sweaty palms. Some people lose their appetite. Some people... Their mind races, but my heart just... When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. He noticed the nonverbal communication. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. Literally, the blood did not cease to flow from my hands. Like all night long, literally, I did not... My arms, my hands did not grow numb. Just all night long, Lord, I'm crying out to you in this constriction and distress. It's awful to lay awake at night and hear the clock strike midnight and one and two and three. I remembered you, but notice the result of his memory, I groaned. Why does he groan? Because his current circumstances, whatever they may have been, didn't match his, his theology, his concept of God, his faith. God, a covenant maker, all-knowing, kind, present. Well, what is this? We don't know if he was in a health problem, the author. We don't know if it was family problems. We don't know if he had been betrayed. I think maybe the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit, gave us this text without specific circumstances to make it applicable to any of our uh, trials. But he remembered God, and he groaned and his spirit grew faint. And here we come to one of the little spoken truths of our faith, and it is this, followers of God lament. That is throughout the scripture, that is throughout 
church history and common Christian experience, but we don't talk about it a lot. But here you have an example. Followers of God uh, lament. John the Baptist, when he was in prison toward the end of his life, he sent his followers to Jesus to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? You hearing me? John the Baptist. <laughs> you know, behold the Lamb of God. Woohoo! I'm not worthy to untie. He's come, the Savior, follow him. But when he was in prison, what's going on? Are, are, are you the one? Here, my faith, my belief, my theology, but boy, my circumstances... Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer, one of his biographers says his whole life was a struggle against depression and doubt, a fight for faith. And thus, counselor Larry Crabb puts it this way, one of the least user-friendly truths that the Bible teaches is that in this life, something is always missing. And so if you are uh, a seeker, someone who's considering Christianity, kind of checking things out, not sure exactly where you stand with God, I think it's very valuable for you to be here today to hear this truth. Great followers of God wrestle with God because we live in this hinge time between what our faith tells us and what our lives present. Now notice uh, in our psalm, we're, we're, at, we're actually headed down. It starts out pretty, pretty intense, but he actually gets more intense here in verses um, 4 through 9. You kept my eyelids from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. So he's staying awake. You kept my eyelids from closing. His heart is pounding, perhaps. And so he thinks of the old days, the good old days, when he used to sing, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases And his spirit's inquiring, what is going on? Here's what he inquires. Coming right up. Can you go to the next slide? Go maybe back one slide. One more. Here's what he inquires. Six rhetorical questions. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? 
Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And here we get to the root of the problem. Has God abandoned me? I used to sing, so says the author, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. But now he wonders, has his unfeeling love vanished forever? He used to sing, holy, 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 merciful and mighty. Now he's kind of questioning the mercy part, maybe even the mighty part. And so when bad things happen, we're afraid that he has left us. He has abandoned us on the field of battle, and we descend into silence. Go ahead and click. Thank you. And now we come to the hinge, the lowest point. But you'll notice an upswing. He starts digging out at this point, And it comes with verse 10. Sorry, we, the, uh, the thing isn't working well today. Can you go back to a couple slides to verse 10? Go ahead. Then I thought, and that is the hinge. He's starting to take himself in hand. Instead of listening to himself, he's now talking to himself. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Four verbs. I will remember. I will remember your miracles. I will meditate on your works. I will considering. I will consider your mighty deeds. And that is the hinge in his sad and dire circumstances. He remembers the mighty works of God. So when you live in the hinge, when you find yourself uh, with your experience of God or your experience of this life not matching your faith in God, this is what we should remember. The mighty works of God extended to his people uh, in the past. In particular, the, the particular mighty work that he has in mind, the thing that he's remembering, is actually the great Red Sea experience, the Exodus. And that's what he uh, describes here in the last part of the psalm. Go ahead forward and click. So 13 through 20 are the remembering of the mighty deeds of God. And the next slide. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. 
This is the Red Sea. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Next slide. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed, probably lightning. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Verse 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so his remembering of the uh, uh, keystone event of his past, his people's past, the great exodus, the Red Sea, that helps him find that hinge and dig out and re uh, retain his faith in this covenant-making God. We remind ourselves that Israel groaned in Egypt for 400 years, and then God delivered them. And I remind you that we were included in that mighty event. We are in the line of Israel as followers of this same God. We are also the children of Abraham. We passed through the Red Sea, and then we crossed the Jordan into the promised land. These mighty acts of the past are our history also. But those mighty acts of the past were really just a uh, foreshadowing or a foretaste or a picture of what was to come. I should say, who was to come? Because Jesus is a greater Moses, and the deliverance that he uh, accomplished on the cross is an even greater deliverance than this mighty act at the Red Sea. Jesus at the cross saved us from sin. He saved us from death. And you were there with the disciples on Good Friday. That's your history. And you saw the sun grow darkened. And you heard his cries on the cross. And you felt the ground shake. And he breathed out his last with, it is finished. And then we were there with Mary and John and Peter at the empty tomb. Their Christ, their Lord is our Lord who does not forget his people. And so we remember in this hinge the mighty acts of the past. We remember his love. We remember that he battled death and won. We remember that he includes us in that death and in his resurrection. We remember that we will rise. We remember, in a sense, the future. Can you remember the future? In a sense, we remind ourselves that he's coming back. He will put down evil. He will vindicate the martyrs. And his glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. So when you find yourself bearing the wind load or living in the hinge, 
Don't forget to remember the past, the deliverance of the Exodus, God's mighty hand with an outstretched arm. Don't forget the mighty acts at the cross. And don't forget that he's coming back to, to bring all of this, to round it out and bring us fully into our salvation. And so these uh, memory lessons, number one, as we've already said, trials are a normal part of Christian uh, experience. We live in that hinge. In a sense, we live in Saturday. We live, in a sense, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We don't have a name for Saturday, do we? Some people call it Silent Saturday. And that's where we live currently, waiting, waiting, remembering and reminding ourselves. Second memory lesson, lament is a normal part of Christian experience. Jesus modeled it for us. Did you realize that? Hebrews chapter 5 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission. Laments promote authenticity, and that's what we want at Crossbridge. A community that doesn't put on pretenses, doesn't pretend everything is well, and yet maintains our faith in God and supports each other. Laments promote that kind of authenticity. They promote solidarity. All of us are in this together. This is normal life. It is normal Christian life. Dan Allender uh, put it this way, a lament is truly asking, seeking, and knocking to comprehend the heart of God. A lament involves the energy to search, not to shut down the quest for truth. A lament uses the language of pain, anger, and confusion and moves toward God. And that's what we see in Psalm 77. A third uh, memory lesson is, number three, uh, use the body. By that I mean support one another. Express your laments to each other and to God. Pray for one another, serve one another, use the body. You may say, well, that, Jeff, that's good advice, but where does that come from in this psalm? Do we see him using the body? We, we do in kind of a roundabout way. That is to say, he was expressing his own personal lament, his own pain. Uh, it's first person, I stretched out, I did this, then I wondered, then my spirit mused, and yet... He wrote this psalm, which has become part of our corporate worship. And so his private pain was externalized to be our corporate experience. And in a sense, he helps us walk this pilgrim life together, uh, not autonomously, individually. So don't forget to use the body. I hope you're in a small group. I mean, that's the ideal place to talk to each other and pray for each other. How's it going? 
I hope you have relationships, spiritual friendships, where you can talk about these things and we would, where we can help each other maintain our faith and our walk. Number four, fourth lesson, um, worship even in pain. That's another lesson Psalm 77 shows us. Worship has many moods, not just celebration, although that's typical of what we do when we're together, especially on a Sunday morning. But worship has many moods, and it all qualifies as worship, including Psalm 77. And so even in our pain, we can still worship God. Doesn't mean happy, happy. It means thank you that you understand. Thank you that you have a better future planned for me. Thank you that you give us each other. Thank you that you have, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit to remind us, I worship you even when I don't understand in this hinge. The church father Ambrose called the Psalms, like Psalm 77, a gymnasium for the soul. That's where we work out our faith. Perhaps we might say that these psalms of lament are a hospital for the soul or a delivery room for the soul as we give birth to a new, renewed faith. Worship doesn't take away our problems, but it does remind us, it does realign the universe for us God is present. He has made a covenant. He's not going back on his word. Jesus experienced the same thing. The people of God experienced this. Lord, help us to walk with you. And then number five, last uh, memory lesson. Don't forget to remember. Take yourself in hand. Friends, take each other in hand. And remember the mighty deeds of God in the past. You may find strength for today. And you will almost certainly find bright hope for tomorrow. Heavenly Father, help us to remember your mighty deeds and in a sense, help us to remember the future when you re will return to put down all evil and disease. And here in the hinge, help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.